You're listening to the Planet Earth 2072 podcast from City of Dreams Media Incorporated. Louisiana Basin has now gotten more than 43 days of rain and it doesn't appear to be slowing down. Flooding from New Orleans and all the way to Hammond has brought a lot of businesses to a halt. Orange crops for the year are in danger of being decimated. The winter storm that froze much of the South over the past couple of months has taken a toll on whatever growers were hoping to salvage after another bad year. Congress continues to debate over the climate action bill, now ballooning to more than $3 trillion. The Wilson Republican Party continues to hold fast against the current bill. Meanwhile, President Katherine Emerson says that she is ready to do whatever is within her power to make this bill happen. Cities all across the U.S. are experiencing the highest temperatures ever. In Dallas, the thermostat popped up at 106. In Boise, it got as hot as 103. And down in Miami, it was a blistering 105 degrees with a heat index of over 114. Now proclaims many of the coastal regions of Vietnam, especially the Vung Tau area, a disaster zone. Hundreds of thousands of residents have been forced out of their homes as floodwaters remain also, sitting in Miami's place mayor now. Mayor is calling for the state and the federal governments to do more to help. The October King Tide is the worst ever as waters have reached more than three feet across Miami Beach and parts of Miami-Dade. The current seawall is not working in the pump system has been working non-stop for more than five years. struggle with mudslides as rough weather lingers over the city. They have now experienced more than three straight weeks of rain. People have left many parts of town because they're afraid of the mudslides taking them away and washing them into the ocean. Some are staying in their homes to protect whatever they own. Meanwhile, ports in Cuba remain closed as flooding in the streets of Havana worsens. Tens of thousands have... believe me if I told you that the issue of climate change hasn't always been a politically divisive issue. There was a point when Republicans and Democrats understood that warnings from scientists needed to be taken seriously. You don't believe me? Well, here's the late former President George H.W. Bush when he was talking to the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and this was back in 1991. The United States is strongly committed to the IPCC process of international cooperation on global climate change. We consider it vital that the community of nations be drawn together in an orderly, disciplined, rational way to review the history of our global environment, to assess the potential for future climate change, and to develop effective programs. Did you hear that? The Republican president was speaking to the world about the importance of cooperation on the issue of climate change. Why? Because it's a threat to everybody. Here's more of that speech. I have just submitted a budget to our Congress for fiscal 1991. It includes over $2 billion in new spending to protect the environment. And underscoring our commitment to your efforts, I am pleased to note that funding for U.S. 
global change research program will increase by nearly 60% to over $1 billion. That commitment, by far the largest ever made by any nation, reflects our determination to improve our understanding of the science of climate change. So what happened? Well, to be honest, that's a podcast in of itself, but I want to move this conversation forward. In 2016, a Republican and Democrat joined forces in Congress to tackle the issue of the climate crisis, and they wanted to find a way to bring both sides together on this. Carlos Cabello of Miami, the Republican, joined up with Ted Deutsch, the Democrat, also from South Florida, and they created the Climate Solutions Caucus. And the rule for joining the caucus was that you'd have to find somebody in the opposite party to join with you. It became the Noah's Ark rule. Now, Cabello eventually lost his seat in the following election, and, and Deutsch is retired. But as of this recording of this podcast in 2022, the caucuses in both the House and Senate are still going strong. Now, for this podcast, I wanted to talk to a politician because, let's face it, I mean, these are people making big decisions that are going to impact our lives. But I also thought it was important that I talk to somebody from the party that's been pushing back the hardest against this issue. Basically, the party that's been in denial. And the Republicans have been, at least in Florida, really have been pushing back hard against climate change, though things are starting to shift in the other direction. Let's face it, this is going back not that long ago. Our former governor, Rick Scott, actually set a rule. I'm not kidding. He set a rule that no government agent, no agency, no government employee of the state of Florida could even talk about climate change. Now, that changed after Rick Scott left and Ron DeSantis took over. Ron DeSantis is still a Republican, but at least now we're seeing Republicans in Tallahassee starting to take this issue more seriously. And why is that? Well, because the consequences of the climate crisis are impacting their voters. The flooding, the intense storms, the extended droughts, everybody's affected. So you can't keep denying something when it's happening in your own backyard. So I figured let's bring in one of these Republicans and talk about how their party is starting to come around on the issue and how both sides approach the topic of climate change. Let's start our conversation with former Republican Congressman Carlos Curbelo of Miami. When did you first hear the words climate change? Do you remember? Well, living in South Florida, obviously it uh, started creeping up, I don't know, maybe some 10 years ago uh, in earnest. I, uh, I would have conversations with one person in particular, uh, uh, Roy, who worked with me at my old firm at the beginning of the you know, 2010s, I guess. And um, it, it was just... Um, you know, a casual topic of conversation, not something of great alarm or concern back then. But but really what caught my attention and made me realize that this is something that needed um, some urgent work uh, was a meeting with scientists from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, I met with them in the spring of 2015, uh, just at the beginning of my first term in Congress. And 
they uh, went through some data with me. They showed me some projections for, for South Florida. And that's kind of when I said, all right, this is, this is serious business here. This is not just um, something that we should care about. This is something that we need to act on uh, as soon as possible. And that's, that's really what began my uh, deep uh, engagement on the issue. So before that meeting, was it just something in passing for you or did you, because, I mean, you know, there are folks obviously in, in, in your party who they don't even want to talk about it uh, or they don't believe in it. But before that meeting, for you, what did it mean? And I, I want to know what happened at that meeting and what they showed you. So, so look, the, the environment and I think growing up in Florida, our, uh, our, our environmental conscience, our collective environmental conscience here is probably elevated or more sophisticated than than for people in uh in other parts of the country right we we live between the ocean and the everglades obviously for over two decades now everglades restoration has been a an issue of consensus and 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 an issue that unifies the state and and republicans and democrats so i think our baseline here is healthier i i i always cared about the environment i i um you know, it, it was an important issue to me, but it wasn't uh, an issue I ran on. It wasn't uh, something that I thought would occupy uh, at least the plurality, if not a majority of my my time in in Congress. So, um, you know, that meeting was uh, was revolutionary for me because they showed me projections with regards to sea level rise, the threats to coastal real estate the um the damage that uh, that our economy could face and really just uh you know in a worst case scenario that uh you know in in a few decades it it might be difficult for people to live uh in this region so that's uh i looked around at my staff and i said okay this is we we need to get to work i know this was not uh on our on our top three lists you know that was immigration and foreign policy and taxes, um, but uh, we need we need to make it a top three, and um, and and we made it number one um, for for the rest of my time in Congress. After that meeting, uh, this was the uh, the issue that uh, that I worked the most on. And I, I'm curious because, uh, you know, again, you know, not a top topic. At least when you were in Congress, a, a top topic for the Republican Party. Uh, how did you go about it? How did you decide you're going to, all right, let's, we're going to make this important. And now you've got to convince, you know, your peers that this is important. We need to move this up. So I, uh, I immediately started um, reaching out to fellow house Republicans. There were 247 of us at the time, which was a, a big number, uh, greatest number of Republicans since the 1920s. And I really only found a handful of mostly younger Republicans who who were even willing to entertain a conversation uh, or who had any interest. I tell people the the big problem with Republicans was not denialism. That was contained to a, to a very small group. The, the, the challenge was apathy and disinterest and um, uh, truthfully ignorance, right? A, a, um, a, uh, a lack of, of understanding and knowledge about the issue. So uh, once uh, I realized that not only did we have a, a, a climate challenge, but we also had a, a political challenge, 
Um, that's when I joined forces with uh, Ted Deutsch, a Democrat from uh, the uh, Broward Palm Beach area. And we said, let's, let's start a caucus. Let's bring Republicans and Democrats together uh, to at least start having conversations to establish a dialogue about this issue. And uh, you, you look at where we are today, where we've made so much progress and uh, 19 Senate Republicans, including the, the Senate Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, voted for a bipartisan infrastructure bill that had some significant climate provisions. Uh, you, you look at where we are today, and I really think we planted the seeds of that with the bipartisan House uh, Climate Solutions Caucus, which started off very modestly. Uh, it um, it uh, At the end of the 114th Congress, so this would be 2016, uh, there were uh, 20 members, 10 Republicans, 10 Democrats. Uh, and then by the end of the Congress after that, at the end of 2018, we, we had 90 members, 45 Republicans, 45 Democrats who came together, said climate change is an important issue. It requires our attention. It requires the government to act. And that coalition actually defeated anti-climate amendments on the House floor for the first time ever uh, under a modern Republican majority. So uh, that was the beginning of bipartisan climate action in Congress. Prior to that, uh, there was just nothing, crickets uh, on the Republican side. And then of course, a lot of, a lot of activity and ambitious ideas on the Democratic side. But uh, in 2015, 16, 17, uh, we really built the, the, the base, the bipartisan base for climate action in Congress. And uh, that has yielded um, you know, a lot of progress and growth and, and good policy. Uh, most recently, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, before that, a bill to ban uh, HFCs, uh, which um, are, are a lot more damaging to the atmosphere than carbon dioxide. Um, the uh, the Murkowski Mansion uh, bill at the end of the Trump presidency, which included uh, record amounts of funding uh, for research and development to uh, cut emissions. So uh, we're in a much better place politically than we were five or six years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm grateful to, to Ted Deutsch and to the many Republicans and Democrats in the House who who uh, joined us to um to, to launch this, this very important effort to face probably the most daunting challenge uh, that we all face uh, as a country and as a world right now. And, and it's interesting, when you started that caucus, uh, you had a rule, and people may not know, but there's a, you know, there's a reason why you have an even number of Democrats and Republicans in the caucus. So we thought um, it was a bit gimmicky when we came up with the idea. And by the way, I, I want to give uh, credit to a group called the Citizens Climate Lobby, uh, which is a grassroots organization uh, with with chapters in every state, and and they they were the um, outside or the external support group for all of this. But the idea we came up with was to uh, only allow members to join in pairs. Noah's Ark rule: you can only get on the ark if you uh, bring along someone uh, from from the other side. You're listening to the podcast Planet Earth 2072, a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Luis Hernandez.
We're talking with former Republican Miami Congressman Carlos Curbelo. And by the way, you can find links to his work when he was in office and what he's doing now. It's on our website at planetearth2072.com. But what do you think about this bipartisan group that he started? Do you think that both sides are working enough on the topic? Do you know if your congressman or woman is part of one of those caucuses? Share your thoughts on this. It's on our website or on Facebook, again, under Planet Earth 2072. And by the way, there's a book that goes with this podcast. It's also called Planet Earth 2072. It's the science fiction novel, a collection of short stories that take place in Miami and Las Vegas in the early fall of 2072. Two of the stories are already up there right now. You can find them on the website or on Wattpad if you're on that platform. Just look up Radio Host. Check it out. Let me know what you think. Let's get back to our conversation with former Miami Republican Congressman Carlos Curbelo. Um, you know what? I, I've always wanted to know, and, and I've, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. When did this issue become partisan? I mean, the, the issue of the climate, you'd think, is important to all of us. But when did Democrats take over the, the topic? And when is it becoming a one-sided thing? I, I, don't, I can't even put my finger on that. So that's an important question because, yeah, a lot of people wonder how that happened. Of course, the environment was not always a uh, polarizing issue. Uh, people, some people don't even know that Richard Nixon signed the EPA into existence in the 1970s. And uh, George Herbert Walker Bush uh, signed the Clean Air Act, which of course uh, the EPA relies on that legislation to, uh, to, to help um, uh, reduce emissions. So it wasn't always a partisan issue. There were two big events. Um, Newt Gingrich uh, introduced a lot of acrimony and and uh, you know the politics of confrontation and personal destruction, uh, and he uh, in in the uh, mid '90s did pick a fight with environmental organizations and did kind of push them away. Uh, and a lot of these organizations, which for years had had worked with Republicans and Democrats, uh, started uh, gravitating more towards Democrats. So that was. Uh, I think an important event in in the history of environmental politics in our country. The the second, and I think this had an even greater impact. Of course, uh, especially we Floridians remember the 2000 election was extremely contentious at the time. It was uh, considered a very contentious election. I, I would say that recent elections are, have now been nastier and more divisive. But uh, the 2000 election, uh, certainly with all the uncertainty surrounding it and uh, um, the, uh, the Supreme Court weighing in was, was extremely divisive for the country. Uh, George W. Bush ended up uh, winning the presidency. And after that, uh, I think maybe a couple years after that, Al Gore, Vice President Gore, became the face of American environmentalism. And a lot of Republicans who were still upset at uh, how they felt uh, the vice president handled uh, all of the controversy surrounding that election uh, reflexively understood that if Al Gore, if this was Al Gore's cause, then they must surely 
oppose it and uh, it must not be serious and and it shouldn't be taken seriously so yeah i don't know if anyone's ever asked uh, vice president gore but i wonder if he regrets not having embarked on uh, this environmental journey which i i'm sure he did with the best of intentions and and he's made significant contributions but i wonder if he regrets not having done it uh with a republican partner uh we have a a long history in our country of um teaming up a republican and a democrat when very important controversial issues uh, need to be addressed. Uh, the Simpson-Bowles Commission, which attempted to address our country's um, fiscal uh, situation, many would call it a crisis, uh, you know, that was the idea behind it, that it would be a Republican and a Democrat, and that would avoid any politicization or polarization of the issue. Uh, Vice President Gore uh, has dedicated a lot of his life to the cause of the environment and fighting climate change, but uh, inadvertently, I think that he fueled a lot of the polarization that um, uh, we've we've lived over the last two decades. And, you know, the process of undoing that polarization has certainly begun. And um, we're, we're seeing the fruits of that, but we still have a long way to go. Well, I doubt that he would have gotten Newt Gingrich on an inconvenient truth, but that would have been an interesting pairing. And we, we might be in a different place today if that were the if that were the case. But that obviously didn't happen. I saw an, I read I heard an interview, actually. I'm sorry. I heard an interview with you where you had stated that um, you would never vote for the Green New Deal. And yet you think it's a it's great that it exists. And I wonder what you mean by that. So the Green New Deal drove a lot of attention to the issue of climate change. And in Congress, it uh, achieved something uh, of significance. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't support it. I would never vote for it. Uh, it is essentially um, a, a program that uses uh, climate change as an excuse to fundamentally uh, change our economy uh, in a way that I, I don't agree with. However, by introducing the Green New Deal, the, uh, the Democrats, the progressives who did so, uh, forced the media to deal with the issue and to write about the issue and to interview people about the issue, specifically Republicans. Uh, and Republicans were asked about the Green New Deal, and of course they bashed the Green New Deal, but then there was a follow-up question, which was, okay, we understand you, you don't support this. What is your plan to handle this issue? What are your solutions for climate change? And that's one of the reasons why, uh, whereas a few years ago Republicans did had no interest in this issue, didn't care about it, had no, hadn't even thought about it. Today, Republicans in the House and Senate have their own climate agenda. And this is, this is something that we should celebrate, even if people think it's too modest or, 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 or not sufficiently bold. The fact that Republicans now have a set of policies that they support uh, because they want to make contributions in this climate change space, whatever the motivations. Maybe the motivations are political. Maybe for some of them, the motivations are science-based and they're genuinely concerned. Whatever the case is, 
now we can have a, a truly productive uh, consensus building exercise because both sides are bringing ideas and solutions to the table. Both sides agree that this is a challenge that needs to be confronted. This is what we wanted to do with the bipartisan uh, House Climate Solutions Caucus, and it is now happening. The Green New Deal gets a little bit of credit for forcing Republicans to pivot to their own solutions. And if I may ask, your your opinion, the, the plan that Republicans have put forward, do you like it? Is it enough? It, it's not enough, but a lot of the ideas are good. So Republicans uh, are funding, uh, for example, um, uh, new, new uh, research and development into new nuclear technologies, safer nuclear technologies that can uh, power communities um, without generating any emissions. Republicans, uh, when I was there, uh, adamantly fought the expansion of the carbon capture tax credit, uh, which essentially um, allows natural gas plants to operate uh, without generating emissions. Uh, they fought that. Now they fully embrace it. Uh, Republicans have supported, supported massive investments uh, into new technologies, what we call negative emissions technologies, technologies that can literally uh, remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Uh, one of these is called direct air capture. Uh, Republicans are behind that. Republicans are now also supporting uh, tax credits, extended tax credits for, for wind and solar. Uh, so, so we've come a long way. Uh, is this enough? No, because we have to uh, get to, um, you know, a, a net neutral situation uh, here within a, a couple decades. And, and that's going to be difficult unless we take even bolder action. But are we in a much better place than we were four or five years ago? No question. Are there many Democrats who are uh, happy uh, that they now have Republican counterparts to work with? Certainly, I, I, I speak to many of them. And um, this is something we should celebrate and something we should try to continue encouraging. Again, thank you so much for listening. This is the Planet Earth 2072 podcast, a production of City of Dreams Media Incorporated. Remember that you can follow us on most podcast platforms. And if you're a listener, please tap that subscribe button. And if you like the content, rate and review and then share it with somebody. We're talking right now with former Republican Congressman Carlos Curbelo of Miami. You can learn more about him and his work when he was in office on our website, planetearth2072.com or again on Facebook under Planet Earth 2072. What do you think about what he said? about the Republican climate agenda. Let's take a listen again. It, it's not enough, but a lot of the ideas are good. So Republicans uh, are funding, uh, for example, new, new uh, research and development into new nuclear technologies, safer nuclear technologies that can uh, power communities without generating any emissions. Republicans, uh, when I was there, uh, adamantly fought the expansion of the carbon capture tax credit, uh, which essentially um, allows natural gas plants to operate uh, without generating emissions. Uh, they fought that. Now they fully embrace it. 
uh, Republicans have supported supported massive investments uh, into new technologies, what we call negative emissions technologies, technologies that can literally uh, remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Uh, one of these is called direct air capture. Again, you can learn more about the two caucuses, both in the House and Senate right now, and the work that they're doing on the issue. And you can learn more, by the way, about this new nuclear technology that he had mentioned earlier as well on the website. Now, before we get back to our conversation, I wanted to tell you about the other podcast from City of Dreams Media Incorporated. It's called The Reporter Studio. What do you know about the news media? Have you ever met a journalist? Welcome to the Reporter Studio. The first one was like the Superman phase, where it's like, I can do anything and I'll never be harmed. And then the second one was, I can do most things, maybe I'll be harmed. And then the third one was, something will happen to me. If Audience anger. Um, people are like, oh, these are fact checkers are just, you know, they're not really umpires. They're the liberal media. They're trying to put their thumb on the scales. But worse than that, like you'd be kind of horrified by the profanity and some of the. That's if you go to Mars, drop off, and then immediately come back. Like we're talking about something eight, nine, 10, 12 years you're going to that planet. And while you're there, you're not on the surface of the planet. You're you're stuck in your spacecraft or stuck underground because it's. Nobody's patsy. And one thing I learned after the Iraq war is that you just cannot allow. Um, someone else to control. Today it's a bit rough being a journalist, and sometimes I would agree, we deserve the criticism. But many of us are just ordinary people trying to do a job the best we can. Learn more about the reality of the lives of journalists at The Reporter Studio. Go to thereporterstudio.com and find the podcast on your podcast app. Learn more about it at thereporterstudio.com. Now let's get back to our conversation with former Republican Congressman Carlos Corbello. It, there was a, uh, a gathering this year, uh, the American Conservative Climate Rally in, in Miami. And it was interesting, the people who were there. But uh, I've always felt, you know, as a journalist in South Florida, that... Republicans here understand because, well, your backyard's at risk too. It could flood. So you're, you're facing the same challenges everybody is facing. Um, but there were a lot of big name Republicans that did not show up. And then looking at this Pew Research survey, they show that 17% of Republicans or those who call themselves conservative believe that human activity is leading to this problem. Only 17%. I'm wondering, you know, again, you, you're, you're telling me we're making the right strides. Things are changing for the better. But I also hear on the other side, scientists saying, we're running out of time. Do you think that we're making the moves fast enough? No, we're not. But, Lewis, we, we have the political system that our founders left us. Uh, we uh, can only... Uh, tackle this issue and address it in a meaningful way by building bipartisan consensus in Congress. So this is a challenge that requires 
global solutions, right? If we go to net zero tomorrow and India and China and every other country in the world continues polluting, we, you know, we may be bought a little bit of time, but, but essentially we'd be doomed to the same fate. Um, so it requires a global solution. Uh, we thankfully still live in a world where if we're going to get global solutions, it means the United States is leading because the United States is uh, the greatest power in the world. And, and we have the, the, the privilege and the responsibility to lead when, when the world faces major challenges. If the United States is going to lead, that can only happen uh, if we achieve a minimum level of bipartisan consensus. That doesn't mean we need every Republican Democrat to agree on every solution. It means we need a, a, uh, a minimum number uh, of Republicans to participate in this process. The number of Republicans who are engaging uh, in favor of climate policy, some do it quietly, some do it mo more openly, uh, is growing. And that means we're getting closer to the goal. Now, uh, it, are we, are we going to do it uh, in time? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I do know that this cause is so important that we can't uh, give up. Uh, we have to continue working for it. And the truth is there's, um, you know, there's a, there's a deadline, but there's not. And no one really knows exactly where that deadline is. We know that the more we act to reduce emissions, uh, the healthier our planet will be for future generations. So, um, you know, these, um, these speeches or, or these messages uh, about uh, this being hopeless and helpless, they contribute nothing. Because for some people who are skeptical and but maybe thinking about it and being convinced, if you tell them, well, you know, in 12 years, we don't solve this in 12 years, it's all over. Well, a lot of them may throw their hands up in the air and say, okay, let's just enjoy the next 12 years and, uh, you know, whatever happens, happens. We don't want to sow uh, pessimism uh, and, uh, and hopelessness in our society. We want to explain to people why this matters and uh, help more of them uh, join this cause. What's next for you uh, in this fight? What, you know, what, what are your plans over the next few years? So a lot of um, my work these days uh, still revolves around this issue uh, and, and specifically uh, trying to build out that center um, space for where Republicans and Democrats can convene and uh, find solutions that will help accelerate this transition to clean energy. So uh, I do a work with a number of organizations. One of them in particular, uh, the Climate Solutions Foundation serves to support the House Climate Caucus and the Senate Climate Caucus, meaning those members of Congress that are working constructively in a bipartisan way to advance solutions uh, that will be durable. And that's another important point, Lewis. When one party acts unilaterally, those policies uh, tend to be uh, more vulnerable uh, to the shifts of the political winds. When both parties act together, uh, those policies tend to be more durable. We need durable policies for climate change. We can't uh, get ambitious policy passed in two years and then have it swept away 
uh, in two or four years after that. So uh, that's what I dedicate uh, a lot of my time to, and I feel very blessed, even though I'm no longer in the system, uh, to uh, to continue supporting uh, and and delivering resources for those uh, who are who who are still in Congress and working to address this issue in a meaningful way. Public office is not in the future for you. Certainly not in the near future. I'm I'm 41 years old, so. Um, you know, maybe, maybe someday I, I'll take another crack at it, but, um, you know, even though no one likes to lose, I did process, uh, my, my defeat in 2018 as a blessing, uh, making up for, for a lot of lost time at home and a lot of, um, um, opportunities are, are impossible to pursue when you're, when you're in public office. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at for now. Let me finish with this. I ask everybody, uh, you know, I interview this question. Um, I want you to imagine uh, that we're in the year 2072, and I guess you would be in your 90s at that point. If you make it to that point, I don't know if I'll make Hopefully. it. Hopefully. Yeah, I, it, that would be my 100th. I don't know if I'm going to make it. We'll see. But I want you to just picture Miami in that year. And what do you think it looks like? Uh, I, I think it looks like a city that has adapted to uh, a new reality. Uh, we have to accept that uh, no matter how bold and ambitious we are in addressing this challenge, that uh, there are going to be changes uh, to our natural environment that are going to make life a little more challenging. Uh, so uh, I think uh, this is a city that, that is already adapting, making significant investments in coastal infrastructure, not waiting around for the federal government to uh, to uh, uh, come in and do it for us. Uh, so this is a city that would have survived the, uh, the worst projections of, uh, of climate change. I envision a, a city that is uh, not just net zero, but that is contributing to continuing to reduce uh, emissions to cleaning the atmosphere. I would hope that Miami uh, would would become a candidate soon to be to be a uh, a hub for direct air capture technology, where we literally can clean the air of all the damage that we've done to it over the last few hundred years. So, uh, I um, uh, most importantly, I see uh, my daughters living here uh, with their families. Uh, that's uh, that's what I work toward. Uh, every day that I um, make uh, make a contribution to this cause, and I hope uh, everyone else who's listening will do the same. Solo en la clave tengo los billetes, tengo billetes, estoy bien. No tengo de cien, pero tengo los míos, hermano. Aquí estamos todo bien. You've been listening to the Planet Earth 2072 podcast, and you just heard from former Miami Republican Congressman Carlos Curbelo. Find a link to his work in the description of the podcast or again on the website, planetearth2072.com. And by the way, what do you think Miami or your city, your hometown is going to look like in 50 years? If the temperature keeps rising, the oceans keep rising, how will that change the landscape of your hometown? Share your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you it's again on our website or on Facebook. And also, I want to tell you about the book that goes with the podcast. Don't forget, it's called Planet Earth 2072. It is the science fiction novel. I've got the first three stories from that novel available for free right now. You can find them at the website or again on Wattpad if you're on that platform. 
Just look up Radio Host. Coming up in two weeks on episode four of the podcast, we're going to meet the woman who started the nonprofit, the Clio Institute. I think it's an intergenerational issue. The Gen Xers, the Millennials, the Gen Zs, they are starting to like get really pissed off, excuse my language, but they're really starting to feel like, what the hell, people? You left us with this. So they're becoming informed and unapologetic in their demand for change. And we're finally going to hear from a Gen Zer who's been part of the Clio's efforts to reach more people. What is going to happen to the places that we love, our hometowns, the people that we love? Will we be able to raise our children the same way our parents did? Will we have the same access to the same job opportunities and, and housing opportunities and healthcare as our parents did? Or will we be bombarded by natural disasters and just different impending crises, right? As we don't take action on this issue. So definitely there is a, a common existential anxiety felt across this generation right now about this issue. Remember, you can catch episode four of the podcast coming up September 19th. Thanks again for listening to the Planet Earth 2072 podcast. By the way, you can learn more about our guest and also all of the articles and research that went into this episode on the website, planetearth2072.com. And again, I'd love to hear from you. If you've got comments or questions or things that you want to learn more about, reach out to us. Find us on the website or on Facebook. By the way, you can also find us on Instagram under Planet Earth Series. I'm Luis Hernandez. Thanks again for listening. Yeah,